Hi everyone and welcome to the second session in our new prayer series uh, on enriching our prayer lives. Uh, today we're still in Psalm 24. So we've started out, I'm sure everyone experienced that it was quite, we started on a high point. But believe it or not, uh, we're now only in the high point of the high point Psalm. <laughs> so we're going to, to start again, but we're going to start in the middle of Psalm 24. And we see we actually start on the very high point of the psalm. And we'll just show you how it explodes from there. But uh, before we do that specifically, um, we're going to look today at the natural cycle of prayer life that we see specifically from psalms, but throughout the Bible, where prayer moves in an ascending and descending cycle. Rhythm. Rhythm. So there's a natural rhythm that we will be able to identify once we know what it is uh, that moves in an ascension and a descension. Mm. Can we just make sure that um, everybody out there knows that we, we're doing what they do in a movie sometimes. We're naming the thing. Yes. So this is the uh, part of the teaching on, on prayer. That's the ascension and descension of prayer. Yes. Okay. So we started, we started with Psalm 24. Now most of us would have a tendency, because the Psalms are split up into different Psalms, we would have a tendency of reading a Psalm but reading it in isolation. So when we read Psalm 24, we read only Psalm 24, and then great, we feel edified, and then next week we read Psalm 23, and then uh, not so great. <laughs> uh, but what we should keep in mind is that when reading the Psalms, all of the Psalms, we have to keep in mind that this is a lifetime of expression of God's priest, prophet, king, and his friend. But more importantly, if we just take into account King David and his person, uh, in his dispensation, in the time that he was alive on earth, uh, it, the profile to best fit or suit him would have been that of king, priest, and prophet. But biblically, it would be more correct for us to understand and see him as fivefold. Mm. Apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor. The reason for this and the reason it's even more true is because as we, we, we looked at Samuel in his life and, and understanding that in his lifetime, in his generation, he was kind of not suited. <laughs> he came, it's almost like he, God placed him in his generation, but from a different dispensation. So we understand that prophetically, he was signifying uh, both Jew and Gentile, old covenant, new covenant, and all of that. So in his dispensation, he was actually representative of a future dispensation. And we see the same is true with King David. So he not only represents a new covenant believer or fulfilled covenant believer, but he also represents the fivefold ministry in his time, which makes it so much more important for us who's living in his actual gender or his actual dispensation to learn from him what we can, what we possibly can. And so if we keep all of that in mind and we view the Psalms as not only just nice poetic kind of expressions of worshiping God and praying to God in, in isolated form, if we understand that this is a natural flow, a lifetime of expression of the friend of God and fivefold minister, then we start seeing that there's actually a natural flow of highs and lows. So even if the time period between two psalms might be five years or a few hours, it is still an expression of a cycle, of an up and down, ascending and descending cycle and rhythm of his spiritual walk, of his faith walk and his, and his prayer life. Uh, so it's not just that he just writes a song here and writes a song there. He's giving expression to what he's experiencing in both the physical and the spiritual. And we, if we look at it from that perspective, we see that there's actually a rhythm, a cycle. So... Coming back to Psalm 24, we see that this is very much a high point. There's basically no mention of the flesh. We see no reference to the physical. It's mainly only a reference to the spiritual, to God in his fullness, the king of glory. So there's all these high points looking straight into the spirits and at the New Jerusalem. But if we just take into account where he's come from, 
we can actually see, so we've drawn it onto the board, we can actually see this flow, this rhythm. And we see in Psalm 24, we kind of find him on a peak. So he's, went, he's gone through his ascension, we find him at the most uppermost point, at this peak at Psalm 24. But before that, we see that he's actually come through Psalm 22, which if you go read is... is I don't want to call it a downer because it is beautiful and it is an experience in the spirit that we know that he, that he had. But we see that there is this, this low point almost uh, in the natural cycle and the flow of his prayer. Then we see during Psalm 23, he's starting to move towards where he knows, he knows he's going to end up at the high place again. Because he's going through the valley of the shadow of death. But God is with him and he knows where he needs to end up. So Psalm 22, we find him over here. Then Psalm 23 is ascending all the way up to the peak. And then Psalm 24, we find him at this high place again. And so today, we're going to really mine from, from the Psalms, or some of the Psalms, this natural flow and rhythm of ascension and descension in, in prayer. So before we start at verse 6, uh, I just want to comment on this. Um, when... We as believers start understanding that there's a predetermined, established road in front of us, a journey that we are going to go on. This is our experience. We come to the Lord out of our um, chaotic, uh, aimless existence. We go through baptism water. And then we, we start realizing, God will in some way start revealing to us that we have a narrow road of righteousness to travel. And I remember in, in my early days, I was very acutely aware of the revelation of this road that was stretching out in front of me, um, and it was my life. But it was a road that had already been established by God. Mm -hmm. Because I, we do believe in predestination simply because uh, predestination is written predestination <laughs> in the Bible. So, um, But that road, whenever in the spirit I had perception of the road, God's perfect will for my life, that which He has prepared for my life, predestination and destiny, I was acutely aware of the fact that that road was not a level road. Mm -hmm. It was a road where whenever I could perceive it, I realized that I would find myself on the uh, on hills or the mountain peaks, and then the road would descend into valleys again. I remember that this sense, this feeling, that the going through the valleys were negative. Mm. And somehow perceived the mountaintop or hilltop experiences to be positive. I want to make this clear that through life, let's understand, uh, enriching our prayer is going to shed a light on the fact that prayer is a natural part of life. You can have no faith without prayer. Mm. You can have no relationship with God without prayer. Prayer is absolutely vital to the health of our spiritual life. The better we understand a healthy prayer and, a, and we cultivate a healthy prayer life, especially a biblically sound prayer life, and it's, it's a natural outcome, a guaranteed outcome would be, that our spiritual lives mm. would become healthier, mm. more steadfast. This is where I want to reiterate that the valleys are not necessarily negative or less positive than the mountaintop experiences. Mm. The road has to follow this preordained and established rhythm. Mm. Because if we were just going to have mountaintop experiences, we would effectively find ourselves on a straight and level road. So there's no longer a high point. Mm. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's wonderful to, to understand that the valleys are 
significantly important and valuable, uh, as are the mountaintops. Mm. And this keeps us in a healthy flow where we will, we will lift this out for you from the prayer life and the spiritual life of King David in the Psalms so that we can perceive what we experience as a low mm. as a vital part of our life rhythm mm. and spiritual rhythm and positive. So even the days when we have to walk through a process of repentance, seek the Lord fervently because we didn't wake up in the morning on the mountain of walking in the Spirit. These are extremely important parts of the rhythm that keeps us healthy. Mm. And so we start changing our mindsets that there's no better or worse, no more positive or less positive. Mm. Um, it is a rhythm that is extremely important that He has built into our lives. And so the rhythm of ascending and descending is very clearly established by the Lord Yahushua Himself. Mm. It's interesting, before we go into the prayer part of this itself, interesting that the Bible says that He who ascended also descended. He mm. descended also ascended. It's in Ephesians. Now, this is very important mm. um, because it's not just speaking about Him coming to the earth as man. Because mm. that wasn't His first descending. No, it's a matter of fact the Holy Spirit hovers upon the face of the deep. That was Yahweh descending into His own creation, mm. coming into the space, the reality, and in touch with that which He has created. Before it is good, before it is light, before it has order, before it's producing life, before it is fruitful, He's here in that space mm. and connecting with it. And is he's, is he's connecting uh, in the place of darkness and chaos and formlessness that is going to uh, bring creation to its um, highest point of perfection. Mm. Um, and so there we see he's already descended and out of his ascending later in the story, He's now going to, out of that descending, He's going to create man. Mm. And so we see that. And we see Him as Melchizedek in creation, but that comes out of His ascending. Exactly. Uh, again, He descends to come and um, uh, come into connection with that which is going to become fruitful and mm. glorifying. Mm. And so there's this uh, rhythm that is built into creation itself. And our Lord very clearly identified as mm. the one who ascended and descended. Yes. And this is um, uh, very encouraging and edifying when we realize this is part of life, and part of our prayer life, part of our spiritual walk, and it's all healthy, mm. and it's all good. Mm. If you get stuck in the descended form, yes. <laughs> um, yes. then you get into deep trouble. Um, and this, uh, we've got to we, look. This is very important because mm. I most certainly thought I had to work towards a place where I was going to live my life in an ascended exactly. place exactly. all the time on the mountain peaks, like you said. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying don't walk in the spirit because mm. you can walk in the spirit in the valley. Exactly, exactly. In the descended places, exactly. you still walk in the in the in, in the spirit, and we'll explain this a bit more as we mm. carry on. Mm. But I think we have a false idea in the Christian world that someday there's an expectation from God that we should just be walking on this high place mm, now mm. and uh, this ascended form mm. or living experience. Mm. And it's just not real and it's not true mm. and it's not practical and it's not biblical. And so we are going to look at this natural rhythm of descending and ascending. And if, as long as the flow is an even flow, yes. as long as we find ourselves, when we are in the lowest point of the graph, we are already starting to lift our heads mm. because we know we are 
then in the part of the curve where we are now in the ascending phase. Exactly. The ascension is on its way. Yes. Yes. So uh, this is very important that we embrace this, that we pay attention to this, that mm. we learn to not only uh, be aware of it, but to, from our side, voluntarily sustain this. Mm, exactly. In prayer, in response to God, in the Word, in our relationship with others, we cannot... Uh, physically maintain only a form of the highest possible level of um, uh, connection with others even in our relationships. Euphoria. <laughs> yeah. and, and as long as we try that we're going to fall mm. very heavily into any dis descending yes. part of the curve mm. and think that's just uh, not great. Mm. Um, so we will speak about this, but we're going to see this and build it into our prayer life so that it's sustainable and mm. healthy. Mm. Okay, let's go to the next step. Mm. Verse, let's read from verse 3. We'll go through verse 3, 4 and 5 first. So King David here says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in His holy place? Uh, we have to remember that here we keep in mind that there's a walking according to the redemption mm. on earth. It's not the same as walking in the flesh. Mm. So it's being human, but walking out of our redemption through the day. Yes. Not perfect, just no, aware. Yes. Um, Obedient, mm. sanctified, walking. It's not exactly the same as fully walking in the Spirit. Yes, yes. And it's not opposed or contrary to fully walking in the Spirit. It's when we are, because we're seeing this in King David's life, there's times when he's redeemed son of God, but very aware of his positioning on earth, his circumstances on earth. And we need to get this right. It's important for us to understand this dynamic. Because if we set a goal that I'm going to become totally unimpressed and uninvolved with the things of the world because I'm going to walk in the Spirit, then we are bound to fail. So we need to, out of living, a place of living out of the Spirit in the fullness, the redemption live into our world, but still uh, understand that we're going to be in the world. doesn't mean that we're in the flesh or in mm. the sinful nature. We're still in the living out of the redeemed nature. Yes, yes. But then there's times when we're going to go on the upward curve, and that is where we're going to, our experience, our positioning is going to be more walking in the Spirit, mm. the reality of... Uh, being more there than here. So there's exactly. the, our positioning in the kingdom of God already in the Spirit, because mm -hmm. we are in Messiah. And our positioning on earth, although we're in Messiah, we have a real life experience mm -hmm. here. So we're always aware of the duality. And what we're going to see is that he's writing here pretty much verse 3 and 4, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place, he's taking his earthly reality of still being in the flesh, but he's also connecting it with walking in the spirit. Mm. And as a spiritual um, redeemed man standing in the presence of God. Because mm. he's not physically going to ascend the hill of God. Mm. He's, uh, while in the flesh, going to spiritually ascend the hill of God. Mm. Very important to understand his process here. But now, in this process of him uh, almost reconciling the, uh, his existence on earth with his existence in the kingdom of heaven already, or in Messiah already, he's reconciling the two and he's doing it by referring to an ascending process. Exactly, exactly. He's going to ask a question. He says, who... Who may stand in the holy place? Significant question. Who would survive such a thing? Who would 
be able even to enter into the presence of God. Exactly. And then, can you go and explain to us what, what's significant about his answers? Well, so if we go to verse 4, because now he's asking the question, but then he's going to answer his own question, obviously. And he says, So the person who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place is he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Now, we could look at this and go, well, I mean, obviously it's King David, so for him to say something like this, easy for him to say. But, uh, if we just go through, <laughs> through his answer, point for point, we'll actually see that if this was up to our qualifications, that not even King David would, would pass the test. No. So, if it starts out in saying he has clean hands... We actually see in 2 Corinthians chapter 28, oh sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, that when he prays, King David prays to, to build the temple of God, God actually responds in saying to him, you can't build the temple because you're a man of war and you have blood on your hands. So King David is not unaware of the fact that from God's perspective, David doesn't actually have clean hands. Um, in terms of a pure heart, we know that he himself actually makes references to his, to his own heart at times. Um, we also know that he, I mean, everyone knows the story of the woman <laughs> and him killing the man. We're not going to go into that. Uh, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Now, even though King David, we know, never partook in active idol worship, uh, in that same incident, we do see that he made some radical decisions, hmm. possibly centered around some, on some level, idolizing a woman. A woman. And then thirdly, uh, or fourthly, not sworn deceitfully, which hmm. we also know he's unfortunately not completely innocent even in that. Hmm. Um, so, so what's significant about this answer, and this is exactly the point we want to get to, is that King David, even though he knows that he doesn't completely qualify if this was the standard, he can still give this answer confidently because of his ascension. So remember, he's ascending to a certain point, and because, of he, because he knows where he's moving towards, he can confidently answer his own question in this way, and we'll see where, why. Hmm. Uh, so, verse 5, just to add to the process, so he goes, He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So here we see, that again, this is the upward movement, the ascension. So he refers to salvation. I knows obviously all of this is dependent on salvation. So that's why he makes reference to receive blessing, because that would be reference to covenant. And then, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So he understands that his salvation is determined or determinate of God imputing his righteousness. And so we see this forms a unit because he can answer his own questions about who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place. He understands that this is dependent on salvation, which is dependent on God imputing his righteousness. We all understand this process. But so this is him starting this ascension and what is he leading up to? What is the high point? And this is where we get to verse 6. <clears throat> so this is the high point. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Now, this is Jacob. And we know, so he does say generation, but we understand that David isn't referring to a specific generation in terms of the way that the world understands generation. The generation he's referring to is the remnant. Is the body. So the high point that he's leading up to is, is the high point of all biblical truth. It's the high point of our faith. It's the high point of the reason we exist. And that is one man. So um, he's uh, important to note, he's moving through this process of salvation, but salvation isn't the high point. Even God imputing his righteousness to David isn't his high point. This is still just what's propelling him upwards. The peak is one man, is the one body, one bride, Messiah, truth. Take us to the one man scripture again. Okay, so. For those that maybe not, 
may not be of the uh, this fellowship or have not walked the full cycle through of discipleship. One man is the mystery of mysteries. One man is the mystery of godliness. One man is the ultimate point to the gospel. One man is the point to the whole salvation plan. One man is literally what all of creation, the creation act, the salvation act, the redemption act revolves around. Mm. Um, and it is the most difficult of all mysteries yes. to understand and to grasp. But why do we want to go that far and that mystical? Because it's a mystical mystery. <laughs> because this is the high point, the pinnacle of our spiritual process. This is the thing that will pull you out of the valley. This is important. Okay, so the scripture there. Yeah. So in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, you can go read the, the context, please. Uh, but I'll just read first the, the main point. And this is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. Read a perfect man again. <laughs> okay, I'll read it again. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. So clearly this says that we are all to become one perfect man. Now, there's not many ways to interpret that. It is what it is. And then in the same book, Ephesians, so he's closing a, he's bringing a thought pattern to its uh, fullness in, in, chapter, in four. chapter 4. But he starts in chapter 1, um, verse 9. He's continuing a, th a long thought pattern. He says, having made known to us the mystery of his will. This is where we get the mystery of one man, the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Again, that's another clue to one man. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Messiah, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Emphasis continuously throughout the, the word construction in him, in him, in him. And um, this is something that you will miss out on if you're using any other translation. Um, because this is one of this is the most important. This is the point of the salvation plan and creation, that all things will be reconciled in Him, that which is in heaven and on earth, mm. and um, uh, we have taught on this habit a little bit to understand King David's prayer process and our prayer process. A person that will be, there's only one way to become steadfast, and this mm. is to have our daily life cycle, mm. our daily prayer cycle, focused on maintaining a one-man mentality and mindset, yes. attitude. It's the safe place. And in one-man um, consciousness, we become immune to condemnation. Exactly, exactly. Uh, if I may refer us back to the graph. Mm-hmm. So what could often happen is as we go through our rhythm, through our cycles of ascending and descending, uh, the problem with the descension and finding ourselves in the valley is that because we don't always understand the, the cycle and we don't always understand what to use or what to implement, especially in our prayer lives, which is why we're doing this specific session, what the mechanism is to keep us kind of moving forward and along in the cycle, there's always the danger that as we find ourselves in the valley, we fall into condemnation, which is usually the reason why people stay there or linger there longer than they should um, because of some form of condemnation. 
But what we find and what we see King David specifically and almost strategically applies to his prayer life is this ascension to one man continuously. So even if he goes through the valley, we see it's almost like he knows he has to end up again at the peak and the peak is going to be the one man truth. So what he does, it's like he actively leads himself, guides himself through the same process over and over, but keeping one man at the pinnacle because that's his focus, that's where he's going to. It's almost like, like faith, keeping it you know, before his, his eyes, in his sight, in his, in his vision. So that allows him to move through the valley up and propel him upwards until he's ascended. Because obviously on the peak, you don't need something to propel you. What goes up must come down. Mm. But it's, once you find yourself in the valley, you're going to need something to propel you back up. And this one-man truth serves as the mechanism to kind of move us out of the, the slump, the low places, up back towards the peak. But mm. it's always towards one man, and it's always the truth of one man, even if we don't feel that we're experiencing it right now. We understand that it is true, irrelevant of our current experiences. So it works like this. Can we adjust the yes. camera? We don't have to pause. We can just adjust it quickly. It works like this. Um, because of the duality that we have been speaking about, um, the fact that when I was baptized, I was baptized into Messiah. I'm seated in heavenly places in Messiah. Now, my life is even in Messiah. So there's a duality. In the spiritual realm, in the spiritual walk, on the high point, the mountain of God, where the um, garden is and the tree of life is and where he's going to meet with me, there is an already sanctified, perfected me in him. If you want to put it like this, me in him. Alright, now, at the same time, I'm finding myself at a a normal uh, rhythm, valley, low point, and I'm going to have to now find my prayer way up there. Now this is me down here, normal life on earth, and I'm just coming into a upward turn in my prayer experience, my spiritual experience, walking in the Spirit. There I am in Him, here I am here. And this is like, and so grace works like a winch. So if a 4x4 fell into a ditch, another 4x4 comes and they winch him out of the ditch. Now this is me up there in perfection on the spiritual high point, one man. All of us in Messiah together as one, one body, one spirit. So now, uh, it's going to start to work like a winds, get me, getting me up and up, towing me up. But I've got to connect with the me and the him there, my life hidden in him, and then I, the winch can start to take me slowly but surely up. Now, traditional Christian thinking is that we're going to get ourselves out of that low point of the valley, or come or, or lift ourselves out of a place of I'm um, in. Uh, my worldly experience, my worldly thinking, my worldly emotions, not necessarily sinful, just my, the, the other half of me, the physical half of me, and I want to start lifting myself up so that I can soar on eagle's wings, and the idea is that I'm going to do that by praise and worship. Now this has a, an uplift effect, but it is like a, a bird of prey using a um, hot column uh, or a thermal it can only lift you so high because if he flies too high what happens the thermal column the column disappears that's why an eagle can fly high but it cannot leave the Earth's atmosphere you can only fly on the column and that's what praise and worship will do for us it might lift us up but you'll probably only make it to around here and then you have to do that over and over again, like a bird using, using thermals. To get all the way there into the very absolute safety and presence of Him, uh, who will ascend the hill of the Lord, there's only one way to do that. And that is an eternal mindset of one man, me already perfected in Him because I've been baptized into Him. 
and all of the others, this will sustain and maintain all the other aspects of faith. So praise and worship is not the mechanism that's going to take you all the way up the hill. Now, what praise and worship, surprisingly, where praise and worship is going to come in, is once you've peaked, once you've peaked, if we're just going to look at his prayer uh, process in the book of, of Psalms, we're going to pick this up. It's after the peak that the prayer and worship comes. That's where we are come out of his presence and we're going to march forward and go do all the things that we have to achieve in the valley. Because this is life on earth, this part. And it's with prayer and worship that we enter this. So I know the Bible says we, we enter his presence. But the way that he does it is on the way up. He is affirming and declaring who God is, what God has done. He's the one that created. He's the one that's righteous. He's the one that was me. He's affirming all those things. We're going to see those processes, but it's very important to understand that the wind that's going to get me on the top of the mountain is one man. Right, okay, so we're going to go on from there because now we're getting to the really high, the high point of this teaching. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to go to verse 7 and it's now going to... Go from the one man, so Jacob, and the generation. There's a generation that goes uh, from the beginning of the earth to the end. One generation, that's mm. the generation of the Lord. Mm. Uh, out of every generation of man, those who seek the Lord will become the generation that seeks the Lord. Mm. And again, one man. So in reality, the glory cloud is the cloud of witnesses. Mm. And that is from every generation. And we are already part of that cloud of witnesses. And those that will still love after us is part of the cloud of witnesses mm. outside of time. Mm. Because his work is finished. Keep that in mind. Now he's going to go, lift up your heads. What he's doing here is something very extraordinary. Lift up your heads, O you gates. So he's going to speak about the gates of the new Jerusalem. But he says lift up your heads so he's personalizing and personifying the gates of the city and be lifted up your everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in then again he's going to say um, in verse 9 lift up your heads are your gates lift up your everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in which is going to f focus on the gates and the doors. He's personifying this, and there's a reason for it. Can you show us where we connect, which scripture we connect this with? Mm. Okay. So, Revelation chapter 21, we see from verse 9, John is explaining what he's seeing and perceiving when the angel shows him the new Jerusalem. But specifically, we pick it up at verse 12. Where it says, also she, she being the new Jerusalem, also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So there John is doing the same. He's personifying the city, because he calls her she, mm. she's the bride. We know that we being built in as living stones, to form the walls. Yes. And um, you, you pointed out something about the foundations. Yes, it's just interesting. If you look at verse 14, it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were written the name of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And it's just interesting that it, he doesn't actually make reference to the city itself uh, so much as he does to the to the walls and then to the foundations. But one would think the foundations would be the foundations of the city itself, but it's not. It says the wall of the city had 12 foundations. So the walls uh, had 12 gates, and those are the 12 tribes. And then the walls have 12 foundations, which are the apostles. It's just interesting. Okay. So, question ponder that they build 
or did he build the city from the outside in or the inside out? Okay, we'll carry on. <laughs> now, what he's doing here is he's going now from one man, a reference, uh, and he's doing this from verse 3 all the way through and it culminates, it reaches its pinnacle of one man in verse 6. Then he's immediately connecting one man with the New Jerusalem bride. So now we understand that one man and the bride is the same and this is Messiah because the bride and the bridegroom will become one. So this is what he's doing here. King mm. David is um, strategically mm. And, and it's important. You're going to explain the strategic part, why it's important. But strategically, he's uh, bringing one truth and connecting it to the next truth and the next truth in his own worship or prayer process that he's going to share with others. But it's primarily his ways that he's penning down on paper. Um, and this becomes a huge window for us into understanding how he's strategically doing something and how we could strategize. So what is the strategy that we should employ to, to get somewhere? Well, again, we see that throughout the Psalms, throughout his expressions of prayer in his cycle, uh, he continuously finds himself back at the one-man truth. We, we see often that he, we refer to it as him losing himself mm. or his identity, where all mm. of a sudden you see that he's, ref, he's speaking in the first person, but he's clearly not referring to the man David. Um, so continuously he finds himself back there. But it's not that it's just random. And it's not even that he gets so lost in prayer that the Holy Spirit just leads him to get there kind mm. of without him you know, playing a very active role. Mm. He strategically, and this is the like the emphasis word, he strategizes his prayers. Mm. So his prayers, even though they are, I almost want to say, full of emotion, although we understand it's not human emotion the way we, we could understand emotion, and even though it's full of poetic significance and beauty, it's, it's incredibly uh, strategic. So, for instance, you'll see that he goes to, and we started saying that he, he starts... Chapter or Psalm 24 with first changing his perspective that we did last week. And then we see, okay, he starts his ascension now. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And then we said, okay, he works his way through salvation. But I think this is also quite important because we might think that to kind of propel ourselves, um, maybe the idea of salvation, knowing that God loves me and he saved me, would take me back to the high place. Because you mentioned that praise and worship won't long term get us there. Salvation in the beginning of our walk might get us to the peak, but long term, if I've been walking this road for 10 years, long term, that wouldn't be sustainable. The truth of salvation is, as, as crazy as this might sound, the truth of salvation isn't going to sustain me getting back to the high peak and coming out of the slump. Because, let's face it, we get tired of the idea of God saving us again and again and again. Yeah, you know? reminding or, or reiterating or declaring the process and the reality of salvation will, the mechanism there 100%. would be only, only to, this is the purpose, we, we can find ourselves again very aware of, of the me person down here with all my weaknesses and failures and sin and uh, regrets and even condemnation. So we, we start off like this. What the declaration and reminding, reiteration of the salvation process would do is at least get us to look away from the self. Yes. And we start in the process of remembering salvation, at least we, that's just the mechanism that lifts our heads. Exactly. And then we start looking up the mountain where we ought to go, but the salvation reiteration is not going to get us there. Exactly. But it, it's brilliant what you're saying, because it does lift our heads. But now we see... In this psalm, we said that David reaches his peak at the one-man truth, but it doesn't even just stay there. It leads, it must automatically lead to New Jerusalem, to the faith truth, the resurrection, us all together as one man in the New Jerusalem, in the everlasting city. And so we see this, this movement of coming down 
into descending into the valley, us looking down, but then the truth of salvation allowing us to lift our heads. But we don't just lift our heads and look aimlessly. Now our heads are lifted. We can look. We have vision. We know where we're supposed to move. And we see that King David again and again, it's, he forces himself to look up to move towards the one man truth. So he might not be in his valley moments, which aren't necessarily negative moments. I just want to reinforce that again. It's not necessarily a bad time that you're having in the valley. But in these low parts, he forces himself to move back to the one man truth. So even though he might not be uh, experiencing the reality of it down here, strategically he's going to put things in his prayer life into place, in his faith walk in place, because he's, he's walked the steps before. He knows the way back to that truth, to the high place. And so he doesn't just randomly kind of ramble blindly groping in the dark trying to get back you know remind himself of the one-man truth he's strategically going to go through the steps there's a there's an order to this process to climb up the mountain to get back to the one-man truth but we see that it's also not that, that he's just taking the steps one by one he's doing it with the vision of where he has to go so it's not just oh let me just focus on this step i'm going to take this step and okay now let's just focus on the next step he can climb the steps because he knows he knows where he needs to end. And because he's done this multiple times, because he's following this cycle, we see that he can do it again and again because he knows the road. We see this, this is the same, this is a biblical truth. We see that Abraham, in his walk, travels through the wilderness in the same way. So even though he doesn't possess the land that God sent him to, he doesn't possess land in Canaan, we see that he moves in a circular route and he builds altars to the lord at certain places and strategically he returns so he moves in a circular route but it's not just random there's purpose to it because he returns to certain truths to certain altars to certain encounters with god and again it will bring him back to a point so we see even in that there's a, a circular a rhythmic movement and so we see this comes down to the same thing it's not random just trying to get back to a truth that you know was there once there's strategy in following the steps, an orderly process, but knowing you're doing the orderly process because you know where you have to end up. And this is what we see in this psalm specifically. So there's a rhythm that we learn to maintain. Now, if we, it's just like dancing. Um, you can dance mm. uh, in step on the music if you know the dance steps mm. until you stop. Mm. Then it's difficult to begin again. Yes. And in prayer, it's the same. If we can get the rhythm going, mm. then we can um, free ourselves from that stop-start mm. effect. Mm. Uh, it's the stop-start effect that a lot of people find hindering their prayer lives. Not that they don't want to pray. It's not that they don't know, don't know how to pray. It's just the rhythm isn't there. Mm. So they have to go from a full stop to build up momentum to get somewhere again. Because we thought... That coming from the pinnacle of prayer must inevitably lead to some kind of stop. And this is what we want to exclude. So what you just explained is David's prayer ability. A strategy. It's strategic. Yes. It is repetitive. It's return, repeat, redo. Return, repeat, redo. All the time. And he goes through this. Now life might force him to return, return we do mm. because he will find himself having to employ the strategy mm. because of his circumstances because of his flesh because of his weakness because of his fears but he's going to immediately employ a strategy because he knows where he has to go is to the pinnacle truth and mystery the purposes of all mm. of god's redemption work the i am in messiah i am part of the one body, one spirit, kingdom of heaven. And remember that in Hebrews chapter 11, this is, the whole chapter explains this as the substance of faith, the definition of faith. Mm -hmm. And Ab Abraham had his eyes fixed on the city. Now, if this is the very definition of faith, then he's working the process of faith, the substance of faith, that which is there, mm. having to manifest in truth there at the end, as well as all the way through into my life, is employing the very substance of faith mm. into his prayer ability. And 
Uh, we know that the Bible itself says that if you just have the smallest amount of faith, you can move mountains. So see now how he's employing the very truth of what faith is in the way that he's going to build up to an uh, effective prayer life. And this is prayability uh, that we can learn from him. And we're going to show you in the next um, uh, two or three sessions how we where we pick up these um, rhythms. Mm. We're going to show you his low points, um, what he employs to go up the mountain, what he employs, what happens when he comes down the curve again, what happens in the valleys. Mm. And um, uh, by the time we're done with this series, you'll have a good sense of the rhythm of prayer. That's very important because mm. we don't just want to dive in with the right wording and terminology and some ideas and, and stuff, because we're going to look at that. Mm. We're going to mine out of the scriptures um, phrases and um, terminology mm. that we are going to use to enrich our prayer life and to build a prayer ability. But before we can do that, is we're going to employ those things in the right rhythm of prayer. And um, I believe then we are bringing whatever we've learned as far as prayability is concerned, we're bringing it in line with faith. Mm. And that can only be a very um, productive and fruitful uh, recipe for success. So I think that that's enough for this particular session. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do shorter sessions, longer sessions, mm -hmm. and a person can just go on to the next session. Or it also then makes it possible to watch little shorter sections that will form a unit on its own um, at another time or in mm -hmm. between things. Mm -hmm. and so they'll um, all follow in each other, yeah. but I think this way it makes it easier to do it in little more bite sizes. Right, so end of session two.